0: Hi guys, my name's Adam Panisi. In this episode, I'm gonna talk about how to find high growth properties and high growth locations. If you like this episode, this video, please like and subscribe for more. If you've got any questions, please leave them in the comments. I've done a couple hundred million dollars in my own property development projects, and I've learned a few things along the way which I wanna share about growth locations and growth properties. The first one is about growth locations, picking them in the right location. Because as as you've seen over the last decade, two decades, if you pick a good location, you know the price the price of property will double. Hopefully, um, you, you know you get you get that maximum growth and that maximum equity, especially if you're holding properties. So I previously hadn't really targeted high growth locations because I was in the business, and I still am in the business of property development, but over time I've started to hold properties because I've realized that the capital growth actually can make a whole lot more money you don't have to do any work for it. So property development, you build in instant equity, but over the long term, that equity, that extra capital growth just helps, and it also means that you don't have to you know, do it, be active, a passive strategy. So I can be doing other property development projects and I'm holding other properties that grow in value without me having to actually physically do the work to to build in that equity. So just by default, I've picked high growth like locations and most of that has been off the back of undersupply. Uh, With property development, I've always targeted locations that have been in undersupply because I've always wanted to be able to sell the product even in a down market. And I saw, I see that as a risk mitigation measure. So just by default, I've bought in really good locations that have gotten growth. And there's things I've learned over time, what to do, what not to do, because I've sold various different properties. And I've also seen what properties in, in those suburbs have performed. Admittedly, most of the properties I've purchased have been around Brisbane CBD within you know, the 10, 15K ring. Um, I have bought other properties on the outskirts of Brisbane. I've done a whole heap of properties in Ipswich, I've bought some stuff up north as well, uh, in Rockhampton, and, and other, part, other parts. So I've been all around, looked at various different markets for a long time, and the common consistent thing is the location gives the property its value. There's no other way to put that. Unfortunately, I hate to admit that real estate agents at auction are correct. Uh, about location, 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 that is true. Uh, however, that is true only to an extent because it still comes down to the individual property. So when real estate agents talk about it at auction, they actually don't know really what they're talking about. Um, they always talk about location, but they're more talking about the micro location rather than the the broad location. And I'll explain the two. So the first one is, think of you know the map of Australia. And have a look at all the growth suburbs so you can shortlist this shortlist the growth suburbs using some platforms that scrape data you know this data is all captured and the data I'm talking about is things like uh, rental increase median price capital growth um, portion of renters uh, income that they're earning Um, stock on market, percentage of stock on market. So, if you don't know what these things are or if you haven't heard of them before, that's okay. Uh, I'll explain what I mean by all those um, through the course of this this episode. So, taking all of those factors and running certain formulas and basically ruling out a whole heap of properties. You're left with, say, the top 5% of properties, you know, top 5% performing properties uh, that looked like they're going to perform over the next, whatever, few years, five years, ten years. So you can do that uh, from an Australia wide. So you look at data, you look at statistics, and you come up with a shortlist. So you've got a shortlist from doing that. That's really great, uh, happy days, that's one way to do it. You know, this, this isn't like a bulletproof formula. Uh, you've got to then jump into the micro location. So you've done like the broad location, you've picked out, you know, 10 suburbs that you want to investigate further. Now you need to deep dive into those 10 suburbs and this is where it starts to get a bit more on the ground because property is physical, it's where people live, residential I'm talking about. So, you know, people live there, whether they're renting the property or whether they are owner-occupiers, somebody is living in that property uh, and they've got, you know, husband, wife, kids, dog, singles, you know, boarding, whatever it is, we all have to live in a property. It's an essential commodity or essential service that we need a roof over our head. over our head. So you've got to think about it in that light. So now you start to look at some of the micro location and the micro location will come down to uh, amenity. Uh, the next one, and I like to look at amenity as second. So what is it close to? Over time, places, properties that are near the CBD have generally grown, had more capital growth than properties further out from the CBD. Um, Property if you think about it as a whole, really comes off the back of supply and demand. Um, Supply in terms of developed properties, the properties that are supplied to the market, um, and that also includes listing of second-hand properties. But then there's also the demand, the people coming into that area. So that's all well and good. People talk about supply and demand. But really, supply and demand is only going to be out of whack and push the value of properties up if that demand can afford to buy the property. So that's one thing that Sydney's really grappled with. There's plenty of demand in a down market, but people just can't afford to buy a property. So if people can't afford to buy the property, they're not physically going to be able to buy it. And that's what's happened with a lot of parts in Sydney that I've seen because people have stretched themselves so much. They just can't go any further. So you've got to have cashed up demand, basically. You've got to have people that do have the money to buy it. And you'll see suburbs that have gone into transitions where they've gone from medium-priced suburbs to now really affluent high-priced suburbs. And it's because they've transitioned that the people coming into that area have now got more money. So the demand has been the right type of demand. The same with interstate buyers. I'll talk about Queensland, like people coming up from Sydney and Melbourne. They think Queensland property is cheap. So, yes, we've got demand, but we've also got demand that has money. Uh, it's all well and good having demand from, say, Brisbane buyers coming up, you know, to Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast um, and buying property, but they're they're limited to you know Brisbane properties and the value of Brisbane properties. Whereas Sydney and Melbourne. You know, properties there are normally double what they are or, you know, fairly fairly high premium of what they are in Queensland. So you've got cashed up demand and that's just going to push the price up because people from Sydney go, wow, property's cheap on the Gold Coast. Wow, property's cheap in Brisbane. Uh, this property for $600,000, but let's offer them, them 600000 and the property might, have, might only be worth 550. And people in Brisbane are going, oh, this guy's an idiot. He's just paid $600,000. And then another buyer comes up and the agent says, well, that one just sold for 600. The market's booming, this one's now 610. So then this guy goes, oh, 610, that's cheap. That same house in Melbourne, that same house in Sydney, that'd be a million dollars. So this is only 600,000 and it's getting $500 a week. Like my million dollar house in Sydney, that's getting $500 a week as well. So it's like, oh, this is a great deal. And that's how the market gets pushed up. Now, if it's in Sydney or Melbourne, yeah, the buyers are coming locally, but buyers are coming locally and they still need to you know, get finance or if they cash, buyers get, get cash. But there's a lot more cash circulating in those capital cities. There's a lot more wealth in Sydney and Melbourne than there are in really the rest of Australia. Um, you know, three quarters of Australia's property wealth is held in Sydney and Melbourne. So when you see doom and gloom about the media, most of that is off the back of Sydney and Melbourne. So uh, with regards to... Um, buying properties that are going to perform really well. You've got to look at amenity. So what is it close to? Is it close to a capital city, which means what types of people are living there? Uh, Then you got to look at even the micro of, you've got a suburb, but now drill down into individual properties within that suburb. So individual properties are close to say a restaurant or a shop, or are they on a main road? So all of those sub-considerations, so all those secondary considerations you've really got to think about when it comes down to buying an individual property because you're only buying one property in the whole suburb and you can still pay too much for one property in a growth suburb and never actually recover your money in 10 years or have very little growth in 10 years. So what, what you want to do is actually compare sold properties to the one you're looking at that are in similar locations. So, you can't compare a property that's in a quiet cul-de-sac to one that's on a main road. Depending on the suburb, there's going to be price differences. And the more affluent suburbs, there's generally more price differences between main roads and cul-de-sacs. The reason being is when you're in more affluent suburbs, uh, if you've got a property for, say, one and a half million on a main road and you've got a property for two million on a quiet street. Nine times out of 10, somebody with one and a half million looking in that suburb, they're going to be able to buy it for two, you know, they're going to be able to go that extra 500,000 to get something that they want. And then normally, as you get higher up, you know, once you start getting over the three or four million dollar properties, they're cash buyers or, you know, they're very low geared. They've got very low, loan to value ratios on those types of properties. So you know, half a million dollars when you're talking about a $4 million house, that's not a, you know, that's 10%. Uh, so you know, if it was me buying a $4 million house and that was my you know, dream home or forever home or home for family, I'm not buying it on a main road. So, And, and I'd be willing to pay half a million or a million dollars more not to be on a main road in certain pockets. So, main road is a big one. I get this wrong on one of my properties where I bought it on a main road, sold it way less than what it should have because I ruled out all the buyers that had cash. So I shot myself in the foot pretty substantially with that. So you gotta look at the the micro amenity and what it's close to, what buyer objections there are and how that's gonna perform long-term. Properties on main roads, they don't perform well long-term and I don't like buying properties on main roads. Just generally speaking, they're harder to sell. Uh, They don't perform long-term and so even if you're gonna hold it, I still don't like them. And even renters, you know, renters will rent on a main road if they have to. But if they had the option for the same price, they're not going to rent on a main road, especially if you have got little kids. Uh, you don't, you don't want your kids running out on a main road and getting splattered by cars. Um, speaking, speaking from experience on the splattered by cars bit, but you know, living on, on a busy road, um, very dangerous with kids if they got it, if they get out. For those people that that do and don't have kids, you know what I'm talking about. So, then what do you look at? You you could look at you know places that are in quiet streets. Uh, that are close to amenity but then you know with amenities such as restaurants you you want that amenity if that suburb has it but you don't want to be too close you don't want to be backing onto a shopping center you don't want to be backing onto cafes um, because then that's too close to amenity you get the noise you get the smell you get the foot traffic so you got to work that out as well you know what do people pay less uh, to be right next to a shopping center And I have known some people and I actually had the opportunity to buy a house a long time ago, pretty much next to a shopping centre, missed out on it and then two months later the shopping centre bought it. So, there could be some really good value in buying next, right next to a shopping centre in that the shopping centre buys it off you but traditionally speaking, you know, I wouldn't bank on that. So, I wouldn't rely on the shopping centre buying your property uh, necessarily unless they're expanding in that direction. So... The, those, those micro things make a big difference to the overall long-term growth of that particular house. And Another example of that is like living on the beach. You can be on the beach with a view. Those houses, especially in the last couple of years, have gone through the roof. If you're one or two streets back, yes, you've had some awesome capital growth, but I can guarantee you, or well, at least the areas that I've looked at, all the properties right on the beach have had way more capital growth than the ones one street back. Like the ones one street back might have doubled, the ones on the beach have tripled, and some in some instances like quadrupled, um, because there's more buyers that buyer demand just fighting over it because there's less property. So it's it is really about scarcity, but it has to be scarcity with the right buyer that's coming in with cash or you know the bank coming in and valuing that valuing your property based on another sale that's happened you know around the corner that's on you know the same side of the road that's got the beach view or whatever it is. So that's how you pick high growth locations one using data from all around Australia to then pick out the high growth locations um, but then also then drilling down into those high growth locations and looking at individual streets individual properties and working out their amenity and their access to things Um, but there are a fair amount of factors uh, with regards to that and i haven't even spoken about the property itself so you, you can see I haven't even mentioned how many bedrooms has the property got, how many bathrooms, you know, it's the first thing people normally ask or, you know, they advertise about the property, bedrooms, bathrooms. It's actually the lowest value thing that you need to actually be looking at when it comes to buying high growth properties. Who cares about the bedrooms and the bathrooms? Yes, you've got those those fittings and fixtures and if you're buying a property as a rental property you know renters will pay you for number of bedrooms they're not going to pay you for the land they'll pay you for number of bedrooms. So you need to have a mix with both. you need to have you know a property that, that you can rent out that's got enough bedrooms for the market um, but you don't want to be compromising on the property on the on the added value you know created to the land, it's all about the location. Property is immovable, you can't move it. And the value of the land comes from its location um, and that's suburb and even specific down to each street. And because of that location and that value that's, that it's given, that long-term capital growth is about the, the specific location of that one property. It's got nothing to do necessarily with, you know, the, the value of the home itself. Although people will put, you know, a value on the property because they want to live there of course but if you have two houses identical you know four bed two bath ones 10 kilometers from sydney cbd and the other ones 20 kilometers from sydney cbd you know that comparison and i'm using quite extremes here but that comparison one one can be worth double what the other one is um and it's because of the location and That's, you know, that's using 10 kilometres and 20 kilometres, but even in the same suburbs, I'm sure if you live in the suburb, um, especially the more affluent ones, you'll know properties that, even in the same suburb, you know, similar houses, but ones in a much better location, you know, it'll be worth double um, and sometimes even more because of where it's positioned even within that suburb. So that over time, um, as long as you're buying, you know, in the right market, buying well, that over time is going to have, Better capital growth than something that's say on the main road under a flight path, um, unless unless you know zoning changes or unless a shopping centre buys you. But generally, you know, residential use. I'm not talking about a change of use, just talking about general residential property will always grow better if you get that micro location down to the point. So you know that's poking about buying high growth properties that'll perform over time. I haven't given you any specifics. So I'm just talking about general. Um, the specifics and the, the exact formula I do in my program, you know, it does take six weeks to get through this stuff and there is a fair bit of material to get through you know, to make sure that you do it properly and do it right. So I am broad brushing. Um, but the biggest factor uh, which is going to make a difference whether you buy in a growth location or not is actually buying under market value. Uh, when you buy under market value, you're locking in instant equity uh, you do have the option to then on-sell that property, realize the capital, and then go again. Uh, but if you're buying a market value, it means you can refinance that property pretty early. And once you can refinance it, you can go and buy another property, and then you can go and buy another one. And you just rinse and repeat that same cycle. you got to have the structure right. I talk about structuring your property portfolio correctly in another video, and I'll also teach this as part of my programs. If you don't have the structure right, you can't keep buying properties, you're going to get stuck. But... The biggest factor, I think, is actually not so much even about the high growth location, although over the long term, that's going to make the difference. Um, But from day one, you want to be buying under market value to build in instant equity so that then you can use that equity to then buy further properties. Hope that's really helped. If you have any questions, please let us know in the comments and look forward to seeing you on the next one.